three snapshots from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, one at the end of chapter 7, one a little bit further in chapter 8, and then we'll skip to the end of the story to chapter 14 for just a moment. So first, uh, Mark seven thirty-one to 37. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking, taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up into heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And now, chapter 8, verses 11 to 13. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. And now, fast forward with me to chapter 14 for a moment. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. Verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What makes you What makes you sigh? What makes you ache until you groan? I, uh, I confessed to our staff this week in our staff meeting that uh, my two-week Christmas and New Year's vacation was not all that I had hoped it would be. At, like some of you did, uh, I came down with the flu on Christmas Eve and spent uh, 48 hours in a recliner uh, groaning. Um, and uh, it was miserable. I hated it. And it, 
it not only just sucked the joy out of being able to celebrate Christmas, but it, it, that sickness also sucked the joy out of being able to enjoy my family. Um, and even the week after, when we went traveling to Charleston and Greenville for, for some time together, I was still not feeling well, coughing. It just kind of made things relationally hard, too, in that way. You know how that is. And, um, and then as I was sitting in that recliner for that 36-hour period where I was just trying to survive, um, I had a lot of time to think and reflect on not only my physical brokenness just from the flu, but just in general being a 52-year-old thing. Um, And then I was able to reflect on some of the relational brokenness in my life. You know, holidays are always good for some family drama, so... Um, And... That's what I did. <laughs> I sighed. But sometimes, a lot of the times, it wasn't just groaning. It was grumbling. I confessed to the staff that I, I kind of had this attitude of, well, thanks a lot, Lord. Great vacation. Merry Christmas. Thanks for the flu. Um... That's, that's not good. So there's some, not only physical and spiritual, I mean, physical and relational brokenness that was going on, but some spiritual brokenness too. Um, so as I told the staff, I, I didn't, on Monday, feel completely ready to come back uh, and be your shepherd <laughs> or one of them. And really feel ready to get back to shepherding the physical and relational and spiritual brokenness of others because I hadn't felt like I got a break from my own. So all I could do on Monday was just beg Jesus to help me. And he has. First, he rebuked me. He reminded me that even when I think I can get a break from my brokenness, I really can't. It's always there. Um, I can't expect to have to have all my stuff together before I get to walk with you through your stuff. I was reminded of when Paul said, speaking of his and the apostles' ministry to people, he said, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I wasn't there, but I was burdened beyond my strength. He said, indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. Now, the flu did make me feel that way. But this is what he said. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So the first thing Jesus did on Monday was gently rebuke me and say, look, you don't have to have all your brokenness settled and taken a break from before you can come back and help my people deal with theirs. Um, all of that stuff is to make you not rely on yourself as, I do, as you do what I've called you to do. The second thing he did was, in his kindness, 
he met me. He met me right in the middle of my brokenness. And he met me with this story of this deaf and mute man in Mark. I wasn't sure what I was preaching next. I had decided I'm not going to look. I'm on vacation. I'm going to give my brain a rest. I'm not even going to look. So on Monday, I cracked it open. I said, where do we leave off? And there he is, the deaf and mute man. And, uh, and these two little snapshots of physical and relational and spiritual brokenness and the groaning size of Jesus. As, um, as Tracy read to you earlier, Paul Miller said that Jesus sighs with the deaf man and sighs deeply with the Pharisees. Jesus reacts with a deep groan, a cosmic sigh, as if this world is in an unnatural state, suffering the ill effects of a centuries-old invasion of evil. And it is. It's interesting that Mark's gospel is the only one that mentions the story of healing this deaf and mute man. Mark's gospel is the only one that uses these words about Jesus sighing and deeply sighing. Uh, This groaning of Jesus must have made a, a profound impact on Peter, and he told it to Mark. And it's made a profound impact on me. Here is Jesus having tender compassion on a broken man. So it's like the Lord would say, here, Jimmy, look at Jesus. Let me show you who I am. I am the God who groans. And so let's look at this story. Mark says, and taking him aside from the crowd privately. So Jesus took this deaf man aside from the crowd privately. See his tenderness in this. See his compassion, his personal attention. This man had already been humiliated and ostracized by his community because of his problems. Jesus didn't want to make him a spectacle or a sideshow, so he tenderly, compassionately took him, alo- took him away alone in private. And, and Jesus also didn't want to cater to the pressure of the crowds to be a, a miracle worker or the greatest showman. So he, he took the man aside privately. And then this is this crazy thing here. He put his fingers, I just want you to picture this. He put his fingers in his ears, and after spitting, I'm assuming licking his own finger, he touched the man's tongue. And he looked up into heaven. So what? This is weird, Jesus. What are you doing? But again, look at the tender compassion of Jesus for this broken man. This man can't hear. Jesus couldn't tell him what he was about to do. He used sign language. This, the fingers in the ear, the touching of the tongue, the looking up in heaven, this is all sign language. So the man understands that what Jesus is saying to him is, something will be done for your ears, something that only God can do. And something will be done for your tongue, something that only my Father can do. And I thought, isn't this what Christmas is all about? 
Isn't this what the incarnation is all about? Incarnation in the flesh, Jesus coming in the flesh. Isn't that what that's all about? He, he put his flesh fingers in the man's ear. He put his own spit on the man's tongue. Isn't this what the incarnation is all about? The angel said, and this shall be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This will be a sign to you. The baby in the manger was sign language for people who don't hear. This will be a sign to you. You will find that God has wrapped his love in flesh and blood, and he's come for you. The God who groans took on human flesh so that he could put his fingers in this man's ear and his spit on this man's tongue so that he could say, something will be done for your brokenness and I've come in the flesh to do it. You want to know what Christmas is about, Jimmy? It's the promise that something will be done for your brokenness and I came in the flesh to do it. And Mark goes on. And looking up into heaven, Jesus, Jesus sighed and said to him, Ephatha, be opened. Again, it's, it's that deep groan, it's that cosmic sigh that wells up in Jesus because this man is suffering all the ill effects of a centuries-old invasion of evil. In this man, Jesus sees the effects of the invasion of evil that came when Adam and Eve, deceived by the serpent, deserted God, double-crossed God, denied God, walked away from him in the Garden of Eden. Jesus sees the effects in this man that Adam and Eve's spiritual brokenness, when they chose to believe the lie that God's heart could not be trusted, it's their unbelief, it's their what have you done for me lately, God, hearts. That spiritual brokenness led to the physical brokenness that has spread throughout creation till now so that Paul would say, as we read this morning, that the whole creation has been groaning until now. And that word groaning that Paul uses is the same word for sigh that Mark uses to describe what Jesus did. So their spiritual brokenness led to a physical brokenness in creation into a relational brokenness. It's that same relational brokenness that lies at the root of all of the social drama and the family drama and the marital drama and the political drama that you have witnessed or experienced in 2019. So I want to ask you as I ask myself, do you believe that Jesus is heartbroken over the effects of evil in your life? Do you believe that he sighs and he groans for you and with you? Remember what we read in Exodus this morning. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God 
knew. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant love for them. God saw them. God knew. Do you believe that God hears your groaning? Do you believe that God remembers his covenant of everlasting love with you? Do you believe that God sees you in the groaning that you're experiencing right now? Do you believe that he knows what's going on, not just what's happening to you, but what's happening in you? Do you believe he knows? Do you believe in this Jesus who, if he chooses to, could say, be opened and to every ill effect of evil that blocks your body and your relationships and your heart would fall away and you, your whole person, not just your ears or your tongue, but you would be opened. Do you believe in that Jesus who can do that? Because that's what the real issue is. That's what the real issue is. That's what the real issue is, was for me over Christmas was, do I believe? Do I, do I really trust his heart? My biggest problem is not actually in my body or my relationship, though, my relationships, though Jesus cares deeply about both of those things. We've just seen that. He cares about my physical brokenness and my relational brokenness. But while he sighed over that, there's something that makes him sigh deeply. And Mark uses a different word than sigh. He uses one that intensifies it. He sighs deeply. In chapter 8, Mark says the Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. And he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given this generation. It's as if he said, here's your sign, uh, Pharisees. Here's your sign, Pharisees. The Messiah that you say you've been longing and looking for has come. Yahweh himself has heard the groans of his people in their bondage, and he has come in the flesh to rescue them. And I've been showing you sign after sign after sign that God groans with and for his people, that the groaning God has come. I've shown you these signs. Look at me, Jesus says. I'm the sign from heaven. You don't need another sign from heaven. You need to believe the sign from heaven that's already been given you. And that's what I heard from Jesus this week when I was moaning and groaning over my first world pains and wondering, why did you ruin my vacation? Show me a sign that you love me. Take the flu away. Take away the relational drama. Take away my participation in it all. And he says, 
I've shown you a sign from heaven. Are you going to believe the one I sent you? And trust me? And so now we fast forward to Mark 14. Listen again to how Mark describes the size of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And listen to how the level of intensity of Jesus groaning has exponentially increased on the night before his crucifixion. Mark says, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground. What makes you fall on the ground before God? Have you ever done that? He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. A scholar some hundred years ago named B.B. Warfield once wrote a, a careful study titled On the Emotional Life of Our Lord. And he was examining some of the words that Mark used to describe Jesus' emotional state in the garden that night. That word, greatly distressed, Warfield said it meant that he was horror-struck. It was an alarmed dismay at what he was facing. He was horror-struck. And that word, trouble, the primary idea of trouble, Warfield says, is that it's a loathing aversion, perhaps mixed with despondency. And the way I picture that is, is Jesus putting his hands out and saying, no, no, no. It's a, it's a loathing aversion. It's, I don't know that I want to go there. And then Warfield tells us that Jesus' own self-description was that he was very sorrowful, even to death. And that word, uh, very sorrowful, expresses a sorrow, or perhaps we would say better, a mental pain or a distress, which hems him in on every side and from which there is therefore no escape. He's being pressed in by his grief. And it's worth noting that the name of this garden, Gethsemane, means olive press. You see, Gethsemane was, was a walled garden on the slope of the Mount of Olives in which there was an olive press where olives were crushed under a stone pillar to extract their oil. And that's where Jesus was being pressed down by his grief until lament poured out of his soul. Luke tells us that the, so great was the weight of grief that Jesus prayed in agony earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. The author of Hebrews commented on this prayer in the garden and said, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. In that garden that night, Jesus experienced an astonished agony. 
the sigh was so much more intense. Why? Why? Why, why the increased intensity of emotion? Why did Jesus sigh about the deaf man, deeply sigh about the unbelief of the Pharisees, but now in Gethsemane, his sorrow is nearly crushing him to death? Why? Because when Jesus sighed for the deaf man, and he sighed deeply about the Pharisees' unbelief, he was responding to singular instances of physical and relational and spiritual brokenness. But in the garden, in Gethsemane, here we have him preparing to take upon himself all of the physical and relational and spiritual brokenness of all of his people for all time. It's all coming down on him now. Friends, Jesus was overcome with sorrow in the Garden of Gethsemane because he was overcoming the sin of the Garden of Eden and all of its ill effects that it's had on you and me as his people since. There's only one way we can escape the groaning that evil has caused us and the groaning that the evil of our unbelief has caused. The God who groans had to come and groan for us, instead of us, in our place. And now because the God who groans has come in the flesh, he can groan with us in our groaning. Because he knows what he's come to do about it. So what now? What do we do with this? What now? I want to encourage you to see Jesus as the sign from heaven that you've been looking for in the middle of your groaning. When, you, when, when all of the brokenness that weighs on you makes you wonder, do you love me or not? See Jesus, the God who groans in the flesh, as the sign from heaven that proves that he does. He's the God who groaned for you in his incarnation, in his crucifixion, and in his resurrection. And now he is the God who groans with you and in you, Paul says. Believe him. Don't have a heart of unbelief, Jesus says. Trust him in the middle of all your groaning. Let your heart shout with the friends of the deaf man. He has done all things well. You know, they saw what he did for their friend. His ears were open and his tongue was praising God, speaking plainly. And they say about Jesus, he's done all things well. Amazing. <laughs> he has done all things well. But I bet Jesus in the back of his mind thought, you haven't seen anything yet. If you think healing a man is all things well, you just wait. You just wait. Friends, we don't need another sign from heaven. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus are the only sign language that you need in order to trust that he will continue to do all things well until that day when he says to you fully and finally, be open. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being the God who groans. 
and forgive us for not trusting you with what makes us groan. Forgive me for grumbling instead of just groaning and crying out, Abba, Father, and letting you say, I'm your sign from heaven. I groan with you. I hear you. I remember my love for you. I see you. I know. And Lord, would you make this table again a place where we can come and be convinced that this is the sign from heaven we need. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.